0: you're listening to the paradox church podcast paradox church is a jesus-centered community where our motto is come as you are no perfect people allowed for more information about our service times location and to get connected with us please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com we hope you enjoy this message
1: Now we're going to get into our, our, our message for the day. Um, I have the unique privilege of introducing to you a very good friend of mine. Her name is Michelle, um, and I remember the first time that I met her, she had a 15-passenger van, all right? Which sounds, you know, she, she's, she's the motivational speaker that lives in a van down, the, down by the river. No, she's not quite that strange, although you know, we all are in our own way. She had a very good reason for that. Uh, Michelle has been a mother to eight She has been a foster mother to more than that. I have seen her invest in the lives of students throughout the years. She's been a spiritual mother to so many. She's been a leader, a friend, an example to me, Um, even in the business uh, that that her and her husband John uh, have in St. Clair Shores, Johnny Z's Pizza. um, They're continuously looking to the community, serving the church, doing good, and uh, I am just so excited for what she is going to bring uh, and what God is going to do through it today. Would you please all welcome Michelle?
2: Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited to be here. I didn't drive a... I don't drive a 15-passenger van anymore. I am getting beyond those days. I... Uh, have a little hybrid now, which is a weird thing. I have, the, the for the first time in so long, have a car that doesn't have sliding doors, which was really, really exciting for me. Um, not that I don't still have children, I just don't have enough to need a 15-passenger van anymore. So um, so that's kind of an update on my life, although I do, I, I do uh, still do foster care. I don't have current placements. I have a little guy in my house that we've had for a long time. Um, you know, and our, our life is just constantly changing. And isn't that the way that it is when you follow God, right? Like sometimes you, ha- sometimes you need a 15-passenger van, and other times not so much. Now I'm in one of those times where it's not so much. But I was really, really excited when Dave asked me to speak. I haven't spoken at a church in a long time. I haven't been in a church in a long time because of, of COVID and this coronavirus and this crazy, crazy year that we've had. And so this is the first time. And so I was actually like worshiping and moved to tears because I – felt like such an inspiring um, feeling being in a room with other believers. You know, I worship in the car, it's different when I'm just by myself. It's, it's not quite the same feeling, but it was different. So I'm really, really glad to be here today. And I was incredibly excited when he asked me to speak on James, because James is not just in the Bible, one of my favorite books, but one of my favorite books of all time, I am so inspired by the book of James, and I grew up in a really conservative Christian church that I don't think uh, ever, ever taught on the book of James. And as a, as I grew up, as I became an adult, I realized, and I, and I did work for church for a long time, um, I realized that churches a lot of times intentionally stay away from the book of James because there is a tension that you have to walk as, as, a, as a leader in In the church because you're trying to draw people to Jesus right and it's a scary thing to um, it's easy to say all you have to do is believe all you have to do is believe right in the book of James that's not exactly what James teaches yes you yes all you have to do to to be saved is believe Um, but James challenges us and says once you believe you're going to do things differently and I loved that because I, by nature, am a doer. Like, I am not a thoughts and prayers type of person. Um, I'm honestly really bad at that. If I tell you I'll pray for you, you probably should text me to remind me to pray for you because I probably won't remember. But if something is going on in your life, you can bet I will show up on your doorstep. What do you need me to do? Do you need me to make dinner? Do you need me to take the kids to school? What do you need me to do? And so I was really, really excited and humbled when Dave asked me to speak on this. And I was, I was excited to be able to come to people that I don't know and challenge you to do those things. And um, so I was very confused then as I started studying for, uh, for this message when I felt very clearly, uh, probably more clearly than I felt things in a, in a long time this year, uh, that God was telling me I wasn't going to get to teach on that. I was um, confused by it and and a little bit mystified um, because I felt like God was, t- was telling me that we were going to talk today about partiality. And so I was pretty confused, and it was very challenging for me because it helped me to grow cro- closer to the heart of God, and that's always a good thing. Um, what was interesting to me is when I first felt it, I was like, A little bit relieved, I thought, "Whew, that's good." Because I am not a partial person. I've mothered so many kids that I am—I have perfected the art of not being partial. Because you can't play favorites when you have a house full of children, right? They—they all know it. Their kids are smart, and so I thought good, this is at least a message that doesn't apply to me, something that I won't have to work on personally because I just am not that type of person. I don't show favoritism. I don't care what your status is in life. Um, I am going to treat everybody the same. And so it was interesting to me then, in the way that God always does, in a kind of roundabout way, when he revealed to me that I, in fact, am probably one of the guiltiest people about about doing this kind of thing. So... um, we're going to look today at partiality and what God says about it and how, um, how opposite it is to the heart of God to be partial and how we do it all the time because we are constantly being motivated by something. We are being motivated either by man and the circumstances surrounding us or we are being motivated by mercy and that's what we're going to look at today. So if it's all right with you, and I'm assuming it is, we're going to start out just by praying um, before we dive into today's lesson. Father, you are so good and so holy, and we are so grateful for your love. We, we know that we are undeserving, but Lord, you lavish your love and your mercy upon us. And I am so thankful to be here today with fellow believers, Lord, and I am excited to, to continue to learn. Um, you've challenged me over the last couple of weeks in this area. I'm excited to teach about it, and I'm excited most of all, Lord, for the change that we are going to see in community when we start to practice uh, and live out what your word says. So thank you, Lord, for your word, for the, the way that it constantly um, teaches us, for your, uh, for your unending, never-changing love, Lord. We, we love you, and uh, we just invite you to, to teach us today. May every word that I say be yours, not a word more, not a word less, just whatever you have for us today, Lord. I am your humble servant, and I'm honored to be able to teach out of the greatest book ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I don't know if you all have noticed, I'm assuming that you have, that there's a little bit of division going on, right? Division in our, in our country, division between people. Um, it is a crazy time. I, I've, <laughs> I, I don't know any other word to explain 2020 except for crazy. I heard it in the, in, in the introduction video. We heard Dave say it as we're leading worship. It's a crazy time to be a human. And um, everyone is picking sides all the time everyone, it, it, political parties, right, uh, in our social media networks, everything. It's like you have to pick your favorite, and it's not even that you get to pick your favorite thing. It's that you have to pick your favorite thing, and then you have to, like, hate everything else. You are not allowed to, it feels like, you are not allowed to just kind of be a bystander anymore. Like, you're you're being told all the time, I feel like we're being told all the time, pick to pick a side. And and not just that you pick it, you have to deny everything that doesn't line up with this side. And as I started preparing, I was thinking, again, you know, like I'm not really that type of person. I'm pretty good at being unbiased or impartial. I am pretty good at letting everybody know that they that they feel welcome. And so I'm going to share something deeply personal with you, and I'm going to trust that it's not going to leave. It's kind of just be between friends here um, because it's a little bit embarrassing. I've never really been like a fangirl type. I mean, I... <sighs> I guess in high school, I was a little bit, it was different. It was a different time. I'm old. So when I was a kid, like, you couldn't follow things. Like, following would have been literal, and that now would be called stalking. And so you couldn't do that. There was no way to, like, follow. So what I did when I was a teenager is I would tear out um, posters out of, you know, Teen Bop magazine and hang them on my wall. So those that's how I followed people. I had, like, Kirk Cameron and uh, the Coreys, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, I, you know, I don't even know who else uh, Johnny Depp, I loved Johnny Depp, uh, but I wasn't yet yeah, yeah Johnny Depp um. <laughs> He's a little weird now, but I, he, was, he was good in 21 Jump Street. So I had those kind of things. That was, my, that was the extent, though, of my fangirldom. I didn't go to all the New Kids on the Block concerts. I didn't, go, I didn't follow people in the way that you have the ability now to be able to follow people. And I wasn't, certainly the things that they did didn't impact my life or the way that I thought or believed or, or acted. Um, there was one person... One guy, one man in particular, I was six, and I should not have been admiring any men, but I was. At six years old, I pledged my undying love. I thought for sure I would grow up and marry this man. Um, I didn't, but I I have followed him. He's a singer. I know every word to every song. I have every album, vinyl. Uh, I have every CD. I have downloaded everything on his, even as an adult, I have downloaded everything on Apple Music that this man has ever written, and um, I didn't end up marrying him. But I, I am married to a guy named John who happens to be the world's best gift giver, which is intimidating for someone like me who doesn't remember birthdays. So he is the world's best gift, gi- gift giver. So a few years ago, my husband I had never seen this man live, this, this guy that I followed. I had never saw him. And so my husband bought me tickets and we went in, and we went to a concert in front row, and I cried a little maybe wept is a more appropriate term because he was singing right to me. I was like this close to him. He's just like singing. to He serenaded me all night long. And I was like, John, did you see that? Gave me a tambourine at the end of it. It was amazing, right? And then we saw him again a couple years later. And then he announced that he was retiring. He was old. And, uh, he was retiring. And so my husband the gift of all gifts, right? He coordinated this whole day. I had no idea. We went out to eat. I knew we were going to a concert, went out to eat, uh, show up to Meadowbrook a little bit early. And my husband had arranged and we met the stage manager. So we're like at Meadowbrook hanging out with the stage manager. And um, it was, it was awesome. And then he was like, I have one more surprise for you. You're going to meet him. And I was floored. I was like, I have never been so nervous in my life. I was like, I am going to meet this guy. And so I, I did, I met him, and I, we actually have a picture. So this is me and Kenny Rogers, the love of my freaking life. And now for someone who does not show partiality, let me tell you, I can assure you that I have never in my life greeted someone with this level of excitement. My children, when they came into this world, were not greeted with this level of excitement. And can we all just take a moment to appreciate the look on his face? Because clearly he has never been greeted with that level of excitement either. So as God would have it, seriously, this is what happened to me. I'm prepping for this message for two weeks and I'm like, God, this doesn't, this doesn't resonate with me. I've never shown partiality. I don't look at the circumstances of people. I am not a respecter of people. And so then three days ago, I am clearing out photos on my phone and I see that photo, and I was like, okay. I I guess kind of, and then just thoughts come pouring in and I'm like, oh man, I do this all the time. I thought about how, how for so many years I have a 24-year. I just quit my job, but I had a 24-year career in nonprofit where I worked tirelessly to kind of climb that nonprofit ladder to get to the top. And I thought about every time that I have been introduced to speak somewhere and how I'm preparing that bio, you know, like when they introduce you, and all the things like i would be like okay i need this this and this because i need to impress these people or all the times i was sitting in the seats and listening and all the times that they would say things about a certain person and i would either like disregard cuz i didn't you know i didn't like the college that they went to or i didn't think that their credentials were enough and i would kind of disregard the things that they said or my ears would perk up because they would say something about a person and i'd be like oh they went there they must be they must be special right and so that picture started this whole flow in my mind of all the times I have been partial to people. And I think that I do this all the time. I know that I am the guiltiest. Aren't we all, though? We all treat people differently based on what we think about them, based on external circumstances, sometimes that are completely wrong. We treat people that we think can do something for us a little bit better. We treat people that we, th- that we know are influential maybe a little bit better. They have a lot of money, all right, let's treat them a little bit better. We're all guilty. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. Christ shows no favoritism, and so neither should we. And in the scripture, it's actually forbidden over and over again. But in real life, we do it constantly. We favor the rich over the poor. We treat others differently um, based on the color of their skin we favor one race over another or one gender over another or a person's status of at work over somebody else we favor certain churches over other churches we favor certain denominations over other denominations we are constantly picking and showing favorites we are constantly being partial and that is so opposite to the heart of god And I want to just for a second ask some questions, and I don't want you to answer them, but I want to just, as I started thinking about this, I was challenged because these are some of the current questions that I feel like I could ask these questions of people, and I can form a a judgment on them in two seconds, whatever they, they answer Going to form, it's going to help me to form a quick opinion of that person. And I know, even if I say I'm not going to, I know I, treat, I know I have been treating people differently based on this. So here are just some questions to think about. Who are you voting for? That would form a really quick opinion in a lot of our minds if we hear who someone is voting for, wouldn't it? And we may, even unintentionally, treat them differently. Are you pro-life? Are you pro-choice? Oh, you're a feminist? Do you support Black Lives Matter? Do you wanna defund the police? Even this, do you wear a mask? Right? Like I see some people not wearing masks, some people wearing masks, and I form quick judgments based on whether or not they're doing that or how they feel about immigration or if they want to remove historic statues or if they own a gun or if they think there's gun control. I'm constantly forming opinions and basing people and kind of gauging them and what I think about them based on responses to these questions. And some of these questions are very legitimate questions, right? And they can help us. Or they can hurt us. And a lot of times, um, I think partiality hurts us as a people and especially as a body of Christ. We are constantly judging others. We're constantly being partial. Imagine right now just for a second, that someone famous walked in here, right? Like say, I tried to think of someone that would be like a, everybody would like that. I can't even think of a single person anymore because I feel like everybody has made decisions. But just imagine, let's say like Oprah Winfrey, right? Because everybody knows her. I'm not picking her because I like her or anything like that. Don't judge me. I am just saying. She's famous. You know her. If she walked in and she sat down on your right, you'd take notice, right? Like no face mask so you know who it is. She sits down on your right. And then let's say... um, I don't Kenny Rogers, right? Like he comes in and he sits down on your left. So you're sitting there, you're just trying to like enjoy service and Oprah is now sitting on one side of you and Kenny Rogers is sitting on the other side of you or whoever whatever two famous people you pick. They're sitting next to you. Would you be distracted? of course you would be distracted. You would not be listening to me, that's for sure. You would be like, oh my gosh, there's Oprah Winfrey sitting next to me, right? Like, You'd be asking her for her autograph. You'd be treating her special. You would not even be looking at me because we are in the habit of showing partiality to special people and that is not how God wants us to be. God is clear in his word that we are not supposed to show favoritism. And throughout the scriptures, we are warned over and over against, against it. It is potentially the most damaging problem in any group of people. And we see that right now. And whether we know that it is from partiality or not, it is. We see that playing out because it's causing division, because we're saying, oh, we don't like you, but we can like you. Or we, we don't agree with you, but we're going to agree, we're going to get on this side of things. And the thing is, what God taught me, is that no, we are living in a time where it is constantly this them versus us mentality. And there is no them versus us. There is God and there is us. And we are one. There is God and us. Favoritism is completely inconsistent and incompatible with the heart of God. Impartiality is an attribute of God, and we are made in his image, and we are called to be completely impartial when we are dealing with other people. But what I think is awesome, what I think is great, is that even though we all struggle with it, God's word has something to say about it. So we're going to take a look today at James 2, and I'm going to read through it. I think it's going to be up on the screen, and then we're going to kind of focus in on a couple of verses. So in James 2, he says, my brothers and sisters, which is awesome, right? He starts it out nice, like, oh, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He's not saying, this might be an issue for you at some point. This is already happening. He's saying, stop it. My brothers and sisters, being nice, stop doing this. Don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not just discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, I love James because he's always trying to soften the blow. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, they're fine. No, it doesn't say that. For whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shouldn't commit commit adultery also said you should not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As much as I love this whole passage, we're going to focus today on just a couple, on actually the first part of the verse. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And I want to read this from a couple different translations that will not be up here. From the Passion Translation, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in him and yet we favor one group of people above another? or the common English Bible says my brothers and sisters when you show favoritism you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ who has been resurrected in glory these all address us you and I as believers in our Lord glory in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and it tells us not to show favoritism this is a very important part as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you believe right now that in heaven there is a being, there is a glorious Lord Jesus Christ that is so glorious, he dwells in unapproachable light. If we saw him in our human bodies, the Bible says we would just die. We couldn't even handle the glory. So if we believe that there is someone so glorious that we would just be in complete awe if we saw him, if we believe he's so glorious, that we shouldn't show favoritism to other people because we shouldn't be a respecter of people. There is no other, there is no status level. There is no, you know, some people we greet and some people we greet like Kenny Rogers, and that is not okay with God. God says, I am the one. I am so glorious, and if your eyes are focused on me, you are not going to be a respecter of people. You are not going to see the differences among people. You don't need to pick between, between different people. And here's the thing. We live in a broken world, right? The the world is broken. We all can acknowledge that. We live in a world where some people are going to be treated special. People that are rich, people that are famous, they're going to be. And we have to learn how to, to live in that world and not be part of that. Because here is where it causes problems. When we are, we're so ingrained, it is so ingrained in us that there are these different levels of people, and so we constantly just are in this habit of showing favoritism, those people are going to get special treatment everywhere. Where it becomes a problem is when that happens in the church. When those people come into a church and are treated differently, or or not even in the church, right? When those people come into contact with Christians and are treated differently, that becomes a problem because then we are not being reflective of of the love of Christ. We have to somehow get past it. We should not be respecters of people. We need to stay focused. We should love God and love others. And others are not in these different tiers. It is God and others, all one. Let's go back to the scenario we were in earlier. Like we're sitting here. You've got, um, who do do we decide on? Kenny Rogers on one side, Oprah on the other side. And let's say I'm not up here, right? Let's say God shows up and this room is filled Right? It is so so glorious. He he shows up in all his holiness and all his glory. The room is filled with light and there's angels singing. Are you still distracted by Oprah Winfrey? No, because you are focused. It is just you and God. You are so focused that it doesn't matter who is next to you. You are not going to be partial to anybody because you're not going to care about anybody. You are going to be in tune with God because he is right in front of you. His glory would be filling up this room. And you see, that's the problem, especially with social media, right? Because we take our eyes off of God. We forget about the glory of Jesus Christ, and we start putting people into little categories. And we start picking sides. We start showing partiality because our focus is gone from God and we are now being motivated by man and the circumstances around us instead of being motivated by the mercy that God gives us so freely. And that's when things become a problem for us. We look to see what we can get. That's our our nature as humans. We are people that just want, want, want all the time. What can they do for us? How can they make us feel? How does it make me feel better? That's how we are, because we lose focus all the time. If we are focused on God, if we are in God's word, if if all we are thinking about is the mercy that God gives us, and we start living our life to reflect that, can you imagine how different this world would be? And you know, you're guilty of this, and I know that you're guilty of this, because you're just like me. We're all guilty of this. And so what would your life look like if instead of, being motivated by man instead of being so entrenched in you know Facebook and Instagram and worrying about likes and who's gonna who's gonna think this and I want this person to like me so I'm gonna make this little jab at this other person because I want this person to like me what if we what if we could get out of that what if we stopped following the need of our, our internal need to be liked or to be desired or to be popular or to, you know, to have people think certain things of us, what if we were able to get away from that? And instead, our concern became, how do we show mercy to people? How do, we, how do I stay so focused on the face of God and the glory that is God that I don't need to worry about stating my point point? I don't need to worry about being right. I don't need to worry about people liking my post or liking my status or creating this whole facade on social media. How do I stay so focused on God that that becomes irrelevant to me? Because all I care about is the fact that I have been shown mercy that has changed my life and I want other people to experience that mercy as well. And and here's the thing. We are constantly being motivated. You are either being motivated by external circumstances. We are we, we know, we're just going to have to accept that it is going to be inherent in our nature that we are going to be partial people. So how do we get past that? We are going to be motivated either by man or by mercy. And I don't know about you, I I want to be motivated by mercy all the time. I don't want to be... Constantly seeking approval. I don't want to be picking sides. It feels so heavy, and it's become more obvious this year because of social media, because of social distancing. Right, so we're not seeing people, we're not engaging with people in real time all the time. We're we're spending a lot more time. I mean, studies. I read one study that showed it was up like seventy-eight uh, percent. We spend seventy-eight percent more time now on social media than we did in twenty nineteen. 78%, that's hours and hours and hours of the day that we are spending on social media where we don't have to worry about the, the words that are coming out of our mouth hurting that person in front of us because we don't really see that person in front of us. And so I have been appalled, like probably all of you have, as I'm scrolling through social media and some of the things that I see my Christian brothers and sisters saying to people on social media, I think, how in the world are we going to bring people to Jesus when we are just like the rest of the world. And there is no way for us to overcome this on our own. It is not going to happen unless we are able to to, to get away from that and to focus completely on Jesus. And I love the idea of a 30-day social detox. I don't know realistically if that's going to be realistic for me. I love keeping up with my nieces and nephews on social media. I'm not on there a ton, but I am on there a little bit. And, but I love the idea of it. And I love the idea behind it that we, we just need to, to kind of disengage. We need to stop. Uh, we, we need to learn to scroll right? We don't need to constantly be telling people how wrong they are. We don't need to tell people that their opinion is is irrelevant. We don't need to constantly be doing that. And I think that our world would look a lot different. And what if every conversation that we had, what if every conversation that you had was motivated by your desire to show mercy to people? How different would your social media feed look? How different would your interactions with people be? What if every Every person that you saw knew that you cared about them and knew that, that you cared about them because Jesus cares about you. They might know Jesus and they might experience that grace and that mercy. People would think differently. They would react differently. They wouldn't be afraid to engage with you in conversation. Imagine what would happen in your life if that happened, right? And then imagine how different the world would look if all Christians started doing that imagine if we started being motivated by mercy instead of by man and we started looking to God um, it reminded me as I was as I was preparing for this I was thinking about I don't know when it was like maybe the late 90s the what would Jesus do bracelets? Does anybody did anybody else have those? I had a ton of them. I don't know. And it was supposed to be this reminder, right? Like you wear this WWJD bracelet. And anytime you were going to do something, you would like, it would be a reminder, like what would Jesus do, right? And I feel like that would be a good reminder for us now. I'm not suggesting we do those bracelets again, but I'm saying as you're going, you know, like if you're if you're gonna post something, you're gonna respond to someone else's post. what would it look like to be motivated by mercy? What would Jesus do? Does Jesus want you to say it? Is it worth saying? Sometimes it's fine just to bite our tongue. We don't need to say anything. Can you imagine it? Like how different the world would be? I can't. I have. I've spent the last couple of weeks just imagining how different the world might look if Christians rose up, regardless of politicians, like, let's just forget, you know, because we become these respecters of people, and so we think we have to defend our candidate, or we, we have to defend our stance on these social justice issues. What if, what if we stopped doing that? What if we just loved everyone the same? What if we stopped being respecters of people and stopped showing partiality and just loved everyone the people that disagreed with us, the people that are voting differently, the people that are going to these protests, the people that are not going to the protests, what if we just, as the body of Christ, decided that our motivation is going to only be mercy, just Jesus and nothing else? I, I just think that the world would look so differently. So it's not easy to do, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. And I think that being motivated by mercy is just that is what I, I actually I wrote it on my mirror. I wrote it on my computer this my my computer screen a couple weeks ago, and I just started trying to live my life as if I was motivated by mercy, um, and I wanted to just kind of focus on James two twelve through thirteen, because I think this is a this is a good reminder for us. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. I don't, that, that's scary, right? <laughs> Mercy triumphs over judgment every time. In the previous few verses, James was making a point that anyone who stumbles, whether it is just being unmerciful, just being partial, it is the same as committing adultery, the same as committing murder. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but that is what the Bible teaches us. So rather, James is urging us to carry with us an awareness that we are lawbreakers in need of mercy so that we can show that mercy to other people. James says that our attitude is wrong. All Christians are equally guilty of sin, none are perfect. We are all dependent on mercy um, to save us. Our good works, they're not going to be enough. We have to show, we have to show mercy. To other people, so I'm going to invite the band back out as we um, as we wrap up. But I just want to, as as we're singing through this song and, and the and the lyrics say that mercy triumphs over judgment. I just want us to constantly be be thinking, be be asking God, like how how is this going to be applicable in my life? How can I apply this? How can I show mercy to other people?
0: you're listening to the paradox church podcast paradox church is a jesus-centered community where our motto is come as you are no perfect people allowed for more information about our service times location and to get connected with us please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com we hope you enjoy this message